Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Welcome to the Fentanyl Crisis, the Mexico-Texas Connection. Please welcome Dr. Kevin Roberts, President of the Heritage Foundation. Thanks for that. Appreciate all of you who are here in person, those of you who are online. We have a real important panel today. I would like to think that all of our panels here are important, but this one is especially pressing. It's an example of an issue that should not be a Democrat or Republican issue shouldn't just be an American issue, it's a human issue. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation. The influx of drugs flowing into the United States through the southern border and the thousands of Americans dying as a result is simply a tragedy. The open border policies of the current administration enable legal nar narcotics to flood the streets of American communities. Sadly, the fact that more than 100,000 Americans lost their lives to a drug overdose between April 2020 and April 2021 is a grim reminder of the severity of the drug abuse epidemic in this country. The driving force behind most of those overdose deaths are synthetic opioids, primarily fentanyl, a drug chiefly created in clandestine laboratories run by Mexican cartels who source their chemical precursors from China. Unfortunately, many drug abusers are often unaware that fentanyl is present in the drugs they're consuming and how it can be deadly even in the smallest doses. Fentanyl emerged as a way for illicit drug manufacturers and drug dealers to prey on American communities by cutting their products with small doses to decrease production costs, to increase potency, and the addictiveness of their drugs. Smugglers also make counterfeit pills, which can be added to other drugs like cocaine, and without a test kit, it's nearly impossible to determine its presence. As fentanyl becomes more prevalent in the streets of American communities, because of increased demand for illicit narcotics, so does its casualty count. Synthetic opioids accounted for 29% of the 33,000 opioid-related deaths in 2015, whereas synthetic opioids increased to 83% of the 68,000 opioid-related deaths by 2020. Although not unique to Texas, the fentanyl epidemic has not spared its communities of this deadly wrath. In 2021 alone, more than 1,300 fentanyl-related deaths were reported in Texas communities. Texas is now at the forefront of the battle to stop the free flow of lethal drugs from entering the United States. The southern border is the primary land route where fentanyl is smuggled into America. At a point where drug overdoses account for more deaths annually, than deaths from firearms, suicide, homicide, or vehicle crashes. The drug abuse epidemic is one of the most pressing and challenging public health concerns of our time. No one is more concerned about this deadly epidemic than my friend, Texas Governor Greg Abbott. At his direction, the state of Texas has developed partnerships with local law enforcement agencies and communities to fight against the deadliest drug crisis in our nation's history. In March of last year, in response to the inaction of the Biden administration, Governor Abbott took decisive action to combat the smuggling of narcotics by launching Operation Lone Star. 
He's directed both the Texas National Guard and increased personnel from the Texas Department of Public Safety for deployment to the southern border. To date, this initiative is extremely successful, having seized over 232 million lethal doses of fentanyl, which is enough to kill the populations of Texas, California, and New York combined. In addition, Governor Abbott signed into effect legislation that enhances the criminal penalties for manufacturing and the distribution of fentanyl in the state of Texas. He also resumed construction of the border wall in key strategic positions to impede the illegal crossing of migrants and the flow of drugs. It is through such efforts that since the launch of Operation Lone Star, Texas authorities have apprehended more than 85,000 migrants and arrested more than 9,500 alleged criminals. At a time when the lawlessness at the southern border continues to be met by lack of leadership from the Biden administration, it's the actions of leaders such as Governor Abbott that provide needed relief. But frankly, more must be done. We cannot, nor should we, rely on one state to solve a national crisis. It's time for our leaders at the federal level to join him and others in fighting this scourge. Today, we have four important figures in the fight against drug smuggling. The first one is Governor Abbott. Then we will hear from three others. My very good friend, U.S. Congressman Brian Babin, who represents the Texas 36th District in the U.S. House of Representatives. Utam Dillon, former acting administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration. And also my friend Mark Morgan, a Heritage Visiting Fellow who was formerly chief of the U.S. Border Patrol and former acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. It's with great pleasure that I get to turn it over to these figures, fighting fentanyl smuggling and the crisis at the border. Please join me in welcoming Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Governor. Well, thank you very much. And uh, listen, Kevin, I want to thank you for your leadership, uh, what you're doing for Heritage. Uh, also, thank you for the leadership that you provided for the Texas Public Policy Foundation, as, as well as being a policy leader, uh, now nationally and perhaps internationally. And uh, your forward-leaning uh, analysis uh, is always both insightful as well as extremely helpful. And you pointed out in, in your opening remarks uh, the, the way that Texas is having to step up and do the federal government's job. Uh, let's first talk about the federal government. Uh, first, we know that the Border Patrol agents themselves who are on the front line, uh, they truly want to uh, work aggressively uh, to address this problem, whether it's, it's fentanyl, whether it's human trafficking, whether it's people coming across the border illegally. We also know this, however, uh, and that is unlike in the prior administration, under the current administration, their hands are pretty much tied. Uh, for the most part, uh, the Border Patrol has been turned into paper processors of, the, of those who are uh, uh, apprehended to come across the border, they process the paperwork, and then they uh, release them into the United States, which is completely unacceptable, but also contrary to the laws passed by the United States Congress. We have a president, we have a secretary of Mayorkas, who are not following the laws passed by Congress. The president and secretary of Mayorkas need to be held accountable by Congress for their failure to comply with the laws of the United States of America. They took an oath to enforce and uphold the laws of the United States Constitution uh, and the laws passed by the United States Congress, and they have abandoned that oath of office and must be held accountable. Because they have abandoned that oath of office, 
because of the massive inflow of people coming across the border, Texas is not going to sit idly by. We're going to step up and do everything we possibly can for Texas to do the federal government's job to secure the border, especially uh, when we see extraordinarily dangerous situations coming across the border, one of which is what you talked about, and that is fentanyl. But fentanyl, understand this, is just one of the challenges that we see coming across the border. There's, In addition to fentanyl, we have uh, human smugglers. We have human traffickers. We have uh, gangs, these, these international drug cartels uh, who are operating on both sides uh, of the border, posing extraordinary dangerous situations in Texas, but also elsewhere. Let's talk about uh, the, the fentanyl situation. And listen, I, I know you have other members of the panel there today, and, and I, I know them, and I want to express my gratitude to them uh, for what they've done in the past and what they're doing currently uh, to try to work with uh, federal and state authorities uh, to step up and address the situation. But the situation has risen uh, to such high profile that it's time for all hands on deck. Uh, Texas will continue to step up, and I'll tell you more about what we're doing, but we need all of America to step up. Uh, Kevin, I heard some of what you were saying. I, I didn't hear you say this, and perhaps you did, but uh, even if you did, it's worth reminding the entire crowd to understand the magnitude of the problem that we're dealing with. If you look at the age group of people between 18 and 45, over the past year, the leading cause of death is not COVID, it's not cancer, it's not car wrecks, it's not guns. The leading cause of death for that age group is fentanyl and it's devastating overnight uh, over the past 24 hours it was reported here in austin texas where i'm located uh, that there's been a massive increase in overdoses of fentanyl including deaths right here in austin texas uh, and these are all people who uh, for the most part uh, they're not uh, common drug users or whatever the case may be maybe they may have purchased a drug off the street uh, perhaps for uh, party purposes, whatever the case may be. Uh, but like in so many cases with regard to fentanyl these days, one pill can kill, even if they're not a common drug user or uh, opioid addict. And that's exactly what happened in Austin, Texas. My point in telling you this, and that is when we have fentanyl coming across the border, it doesn't stay at the border. It doesn't even stay in Texas. It goes to communities across the entire United States of America, just like the example I gave you for Austin, Texas. Uh, and so this is a, an extraordinarily dangerous and deadly situation. So think about this, if you would, for a second. This is one of the most deadly situations we have in the United States of America. Kevin, can you or anybody in the audience watching this or listening to this today, can you think of a time when the president of the United States has stepped up and talked about this and doing something about this? I can't. And so we, we have people losing their lives in Texas alone the past year. Uh, there have been about 1,300 people who lost their lives because of, of fentanyl. And when you look at what's going on nationally, uh, I think the number may be uh, approaching 100,000 people. That is extraordinary. But it's even more perhaps alarming that despite those deaths, we have a president who is refusing to even talk about it, to recognize it, to step up and do anything about it. We have a president who, uh, whose obligation it is to secure our border, to uh, secure our sovereignty, but to protect people from situations like this. He should be amassing more Border Patrol, giving more Border Patrol more authority to more aggressively go after this. Because they're not doing that, uh, Texas, as you pointed out, is having to do it. 
Uh, we've done something unprecedented uh, in amassing 10,000 National Guard as well as Texas Department of Public Safety officers uh, to seize these drugs, to make arrests uh, of people coming across the border, uh, to use whatever tools and strategy, strategies we can, including what you referenced, of something that if you, if you go back to the beginning of the history of the United States up until today, there has been no state in the history of the country that has been required to build its own border wall. Texas is now building a border wall, which is the exact same border wall that you know, President Trump put up. We're using the same contractors that Trump was used. In fact, we're even using some of the same wall that President Trump used, because many of you may remember uh, after uh, Biden took over his presidency, the, the walls that you, the taxpayers, paid for were laying on the ground. And we were able to obtain some of those wall components that were laying on the ground and, and able to put them up now uh, securing the Texas border. We're having to do all of this in part to address uh, this massive inflow of fentanyl and seize the fentanyl that you were talking about. It's, it, it's stunning when you think, as you told the audience, that, that we have seized enough fentanyl to, to kill more than 200 million Americans. Think what it would be like if Texas were not on the border, securing the border. Those are drugs that would uh, be disseminated across the entire United States of America. There would be more Americans dying today if it were not for what Texas is doing on the border. I do want to say this, and, and that is there are other states that join Texas in this cause. There are other states where we've had people coming in uh, from these other states, National Guard, law enforcement officers working with us uh, to make sure as a team, uh, the states will step up and begin to address the challenges that the federal government has caused by their abandonment of the responsibility of securing the border. Just know this, and, and that is uh, Texas uh, will continue to fight this. One last thing that I know that my time is almost up. A couple of weeks ago, I, I met uh, with family members who have lost a son or a daughter because of fentanyl death. Uh, there's a growing number of these parents that we are working in collaboration with them on policy initiatives uh, where, where Texas, for example, will be working to uh, pass additional policies uh, that will crack down on this. I, I did sign a law that uh, making it uh, a felony uh, to manufacture or distribute uh, fentanyl in the state of Texas. However, we need, we need to understand this, and that is w people who are dying because of fentanyl, they're not dying because of overdoses of people who uh, traditionally uh, repeatedly take opioids or things like that. Uh, they're taking a drug, uh, a pill, uh, for the first time, and it'll kill them. Uh, there, there are laws in some other states that Texas wants to adopt uh, that will make it uh, a felony uh, for people to uh, pass a pill out to someone who lose their life. Uh, we need to change the dynamics of this. This is not a fentanyl, uh, I mean, the, the terminology of this, this is, this is not a fentanyl overdose. Uh, this is poisoning by fentanyl, uh, which we want to make a murder crime uh, in the state of Texas. Uh, I think c coming from the states up, we can send a message to the federal government, send a message to America, but most importantly, send a message to the people who are trafficking in these drugs, that if you traffic in these drugs, if you give one of these drugs to somebody and somebody dies from it, you could be prosecuted for murder. And that's the approach that Texas wants to take. But Kevin, going back, listen, I want, I want to thank you for putting a spotlight on this issue uh, so that we as a country uh, can step up and do something about it. And when we do so, 
not only will we be making our border area safer, but we will be saving lives uh, because we are explaining to the public exactly what's going on concerning fentanyl. And we will collectively, as states, address the issue, even though the federal government is abandoning its job. So, Kevin, thank you for once again helping to lead the way. Let me at the outset thank Governor Abbott for his remarks, but even more importantly, thank him for what he's doing. I'm one of the people who believe that there are two types of jobs in this world, saving lives and everything else. And what you're doing right now, Governor, and what our panelists have tried to do and will continue to try to do puts them in that first category. Since I now have a son who has just recently become a Texan, I have a personal thanks that I want to give to the governor and everybody in Texas to make Texas a better place. You're doing God's work if you're trying to save lives. And what we're trying to do today is educate people about the problem and its importance. With that, let me ask our panelists to take a seat and I will give you a very brief introduction because anything or everything I say is far less important than anything any of them have to say. Our first speaker will be United States Congressman Brian Babin. Brian Babin is the Congressman for the 36th District of Texas in the U.S. House of Representatives. Before his election to Congress in 2014, he served the people of Woodville, Texas in several capacities, including mayor, city councilman, member of the Woodville Independent School District Board, director of the Tyler County Chamber of Commerce, and as a dentist, perhaps the most important of all the jobs he had. Prior to running for elected office, Dr. Babin proudly served as a captain in the United States Air Force and he has served in both the Texas Army National Guard and the U.S. Army Reserve. He holds an undergraduate degree from Lamar University and a Doctor of Dental Surgery degree from the University of Texas Health Science Center. Next, we will hear from Mr. Utam Dillon. He served as the 15th Director of Interpol from 2020 to 21, but more importantly, as the Acting Administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration from 2018 to 2020. Before that, he served as Deputy Counsel to the President and Deputy Assistant to the President. He has also served as Director for the Department of Homeland Security's Office of Counter-Narcotics Enforcement, as an Associate Deputy Attorney General and as an assistant attorney general where he saw what is actually happening on the street and at the trial level that works its way up to events like this. He has an undergraduate degree from California State University, a master's degree from the University of California, San Diego, and a law degree from the Bolt Hall Law School at the University of California, Berkeley. Our third speaker will be Mr. Mark Morgan. As you heard Kevin say, he is a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He served as the chief of the U.S. Border Patrol and acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. But he had a long career protecting the public even before that. Previously, he had spent more than 20 years as a special agent and supervisory special agent at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. 
as well as doing tours as a deputy sheriff in Platte County, Missouri, and a police officer with the Los Angeles Police Department. He also served in the United States Marine Corps. He holds an undergraduate degree from the University of Central Missouri and a law degree from the University of Missouri Kansas City School of Law. With that, let me now turn it over to our first speaker, Congressman Babin. The floor is yours, Congressman. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. And I uh, want to say how much I, I'm honored and privileged to be here at, uh, at uh, Heritage today. I want to thank my friend Kevin and uh, my fellow panelists uh, that I've worked with. Uh, actually, Mark and I have worked together numerous times. It's great to meet you. I appreciate you. Well, God bless the Heritage Foundation and, uh, and my friend Kevin Roberts. And I want to thank you all for having me here today. I appreciate our moderator, Paul. Uh, thank you, and, and, and let me tell you, it's been a, a very busy week uh, this week of Democrat shenanigans, uh, so I can't tell you how nice it is to be in a room full of, and hopefully people uh, watching virtually, uh, who, have an who have ounces of common sense uh, and a moral compass. I'm honestly baffled by what's uh, gone on this week in the House of Representatives. A 2,741-page spending bill given to us just hours before we were forced to vote on it uh, yesterday. A good bipartisan bill to sanction Russia was hijacked by the Democrats and watered down uh, to virtually nothing. Bills were put on, pulled off the floor over and over again because Speaker Pelosi did not have the votes, even from her own members, to pass them. The Democrats truly, seemingly, in disarray. I could go on and on about the woes of serving in a legislative body that is uh, uh, being controlled by out-of-touch, radical, un-American, socialist, no-goods, uh, and I could go on for the rest of my time up here, but I'll spare you and save that for uh, another time. Uh, folks, this is an incredible collection of conservative leaders up here today that I'm proud to be here with, and they fight tirelessly to secure our southern border, and I'm honored to have the opportunity uh, to join them and to say a few words to all of you. I'm very grateful to be in a position as first and foremost a Texan. I want to say thanks to my governor, uh, Governor Greg Abbott, who has uh, been stepping to the fore uh, on this border problem himself. I appreciated his words. But also, um, also it, uh, myself, serve as the chairman of the Border Security Caucus uh, of the uh, House of Representatives. I'm a member of the American Security Task Force to help publicly call attention to Biden's and Harris's dangerous refusal to enforce our laws and protect our southern border, and by extension, all of America. And another one of our functions and missions is to come up in, on this task force uh, when we retake the majority, not if, but when we retake the majority, uh, to start putting in place and uh, turning these policies back again to something that will be pro-American. Uh, folks, these are very dangerous and difficult <clears throat> times. We're here at a time in history where extreme America-hating left is in control of our most sacred institutions. AOC is our de facto Speaker of the House of Representatives, and Kamala Harris is calling the shots as our, quote, uh, border czar. Uh, the liberal media, which is our fourth branch of our government, have sold their souls and now operate in a moral wasteland where there is no bar too low and no lie they won't tell to protect uh, their, their Democrat colleagues and no truth that they will tell if it supports uh, the Republicans. 
after a destructive year of the Biden administration and a Democrat-controlled Congress, really nothing shocks me anymore. And you all may feel the, the exact same way. Major, colossal, historic things are happening one after the other so frequently that now we seem to just skim past the headlines these days, not even batting an, eye, an eyelash. Honestly, it's very hard to remember all of them. Uh, one minute it's TSA allowing illegal aliens to fly using their arrest warrants as IDs. The next it's caravans of thousands of migrants camped out under a bridge in a small town, Texas, uh, under this bridge. And just a side note on that uh, issue, that since we all know what, a carav what caravan I'm talking about, the city of Del Rio uh, in, in South Texas has a population of 35,000 people, and they had roughly 15,000 people crammed under one of their bridges. Folks, that's nearly half of the population of that town that were camped out underneath that bridge. It's unconscionable. Can you imagine the horrible impact that that had on the citizens of, of, of Del Rio? Well, I know because I've, I've talked to some of these citizens. Americans treated like second-class citizens in favor of those who break our laws, who come here illegally and do unbelievable amounts of damage, as you heard the, uh, uh, the governor say just a second ago about the fentanyl problems. Uh, I'm not one for hyperbole, but the Democrat Party is, is truly trampling on our sacred Constitution. Uh, why? I think for two reasons. The maintenance of their political power and maintaining their majorities, and as Obama said, to fundamentally transform uh, the United States of America. We're witnessing the collapse of common sense and the rise of woke socialist policies and ideals. Folks, these uh, decisions are deliberate and they're well-planned. It's not incompetence. Don't ever fall into that trap. They don't care. It's purely cynical politics, and frankly, it's cynical politics from elected officials who don't even share a border with Mexico. Uh, and I wish someone from the Biden administration could explain to me how enforcing our immigration laws and securing our border is cruel or inhumane. It's incredible to even think about that. How do they come to that conclusion? Because, frankly, it's inhumane to not secure the border of the United States of America. What's inhumane is letting thousands of Haitians, including women and children, sleep outside unprotected for days. What's inhumane is letting women and children be trafficked, assaulted, raped, and even murdered. And when you get a chance, just ask CBP about the rape trees. Instead of fruit, these trees bear the undergarments of innocent women and children. What's inhumane is letting heroin, meth, marijuana, counterfeit pills that the governor was talking about. You're thinking you're taking uh, an Adderall or you think you're taking some prescription drug and it's laced with a, with a deadly lethal dose of fentanyl. And this fentanyl is coming across our border in historic amounts. The inhumanity of this is 100,000 plus Americans, not just people, our people, 100,000 Americans died of an overdose of uh, just last year alone from drugs that were mostly struggle, uh, excuse me, smuggled through our southern border. The inhumanity is that loving mothers and fathers all over this country will never hear their children's voices again because they were unintentionally exposed to this deadly uh, uh, poison of fentanyl. Uh, the number one killer of Americans age 18 to 45, my friends, is overdosage of drugs. 
This is the real inhumanity, the real crisis that is happening. And as you all know, fentanyl is frighteningly deadly, 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine, and just two milligrams can actually kill you. Uh, I'm a, a, a dentist by profession. Uh, I used to do a lot of uh, operating room procedures uh, in the early part of my career, and fentanyl belongs in the operating room. That's where it belongs, not on our streets, not on the streets of Washington, D.C., or Austin, Texas, or Woodville, Texas, or any other, any other place. It has no uh, purpose outside of the hands of a trained anesthesiologist uh, in the operating room. It's being mixed with other dangerous drugs to increase its potency. I'm now hearing that children, kids, have even started vaping fentanyl. Folks, I'm the father of five kids and a grandfather of 17 uh, beautiful little ones, and my stomach drops when I hear uh, this is happening. The most maddening thing is that this crisis is completely man-made. This danger is self-inflicted. I'm not up here to talk about other issues, but the crises that this country has faced that have been created by this president and his administration are innumerable. Uh, Democrats are proudly choosing all of these dangers, all because Joe Biden and Kamala Harris made a campaign promise to open border radicals in their own party. Think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. They made a promise on the stage when they were running for president, and they have kept that promise. Just this week, two high school students from the same school in Portland, Oregon, died of accidental fentanyl overdoses within 24 hours of each other. Portland is more than 1,000 miles from any part of our southern border. So every state in this nation is a border state. Unbelievable. And I will tell you something else. The drug cartel, the Mexican drug cartels, are not just in Mexico. They are inside the United States of America today. And speaking of Oregon, they are inside the state of Oregon. They are in control of the illegal growing of marijuana uh, uh, farms and things of this nature in Oregon and in many other states as well. Two million illegal aliens crossed our borders in 2021, roughly the population of Houston, Texas, which I uh, am, uh, am proudly representing a, a portion of that county and that city. We estimate that there is one border agent for every 0.39 miles of the southwest border. That's a lot of space for one a border agent, and Mark Morgan knows that better than anyone. That's a lot of space. We can't even surmise just how many drug smugglers have made it through that were undetected. We know that Godaways are probably up there just last year, probably close to 400,000 or so. Uh, a few weeks ago in Del Rio, Texas, Border Patrol agents apprehended three suspects smuggling drugs. One of them had a backpack with 44 pounds of fentanyl in it, that tiny, excuse me, 0.44 pounds of fentanyl in it, that tiny amount of fentanyl, 0.44, would be enough to kill just shy of 100,000 people and sells for about $150 per gram, and that's on the low end. The White House has promised, quote, bold new solu solutions aimed at keeping Americans alive. Are they serious? How could they be? How could you not laugh at that statement? Is the solution not beyond obvious? The best way to stop 
the overdose epidemic of our young loved ones, our sons, our daughters, our mothers, our fathers, brothers, and sisters, is to simply secure this southern border. Stop the flood of illicit drugs into the country. Stop it entirely. It's not rocket scientists to figure this out. We listened to the Democrats go on and on for four years about how inhumane the border policies of Donald Trump were in that, during that administration. But where are they now? Why are they silent? We don't, we don't hear a peep from them. They can't be bothered to keep the fentanyl off our streets and out of our high schools. They can't be bothered to permanently classify fentanyl as a Schedule One drug. They can't be bothered to give a hoot about our kids or you or, frankly, any of the migrants that are coming across in droves either. And like I said, Biden and the Democrats, they're not dumb. This is deliberate, folks. I'm absolutely convinced of it. If it were not so, why would they continuously offer legislation to put these people who would come in illegally immediately on a path to citizenship and enfranchise them with the vote? Why would the, some, of, some of our blue control states like California, New York, and others be putting illegal immigrants uh, giving them the, the ability to vote in state and local elections. And why would the Democrat Party and the House of Representatives and the Senate uh, and, the, and the, this, this uh, president be wanting to offer bills like H.R. 1 and H.R. 6 that would enable illegal uh, aliens to vote in national elections as well? As Ronald Reagan once said, the future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. We must live in the spirit of these words, ladies and gentlemen. We must continue telling the truth every single day. We've got to keep having events just like this where we expose this administration's hypocrisies, their failures, and their dangerous policies, and their mandates. Remember, nothing terrifies the left more, or their cronies either in the liberal media, that more so than telling the truth, the absolute truth, because liberty is rooted in the truth, folks. Liberty is a powerful force. Liberty spreads like wildfire, and we in this room need to fan that flame of truth. And so with that, I, I yield the floor back. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thank you. We'll now hear from Mr. Tom Dillon. Thank you, Paul. I want to thank the <clears throat> Heritage Foundation and, and you, Paul, for continuing um, to focus on this very important issue. Um, unfortunately, as a congressman, I think, made very clear, um, the policymakers here in Washington are not as focused on this issue as we would like. I think one of the, the best evidence of that is uh, something called the um, Fentanyl Analogs Act. Let me just give you a little bit of history here. In December 2018, I'm sorry, February 2018, uh, DEA recognized that uh, the drug cartels were able to create fentanyl analogs, that is, fentanyl-like drugs, but that weren't covered by the Controlled Substances Act. You could bring those drugs into this country, and prosecuting you for doing that would be much more difficult because they were not scheduled. DEA emergency scheduled those drugs uh, in February of 2018. That emergency scheduling lasted, I believe, about two years. Since then, Congress has been unable to permanently schedule fentanyl analogs. We lost over 100,000 Americans to drug overdoses last year, and Congress is completely unable to do the most obvious, the most simple thing to protect the American people. I think as we sit here today, 
the latest extension expires tomorrow. I'm, I'm assuming another continuing resolution will will keep that going for several more days. But this is this is the I think the best evidence of a lack of um, seriousness in dealing with this uh, with this issue. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about things on either side of the border. We have Mark Morgan here, who's an expert on the border, so um, I, I'll leave it to him to talk specifically about border issues. But I'm going to talk about a, a couple of other things. The first thing I want to talk about is um, uh, the collapse of, of relation, the U.S.-Mexico relationship, law enforcement relationship. In October of 2020, um, the U.S. arrested a former defense minister of Mexico, former general, uh, on, a, on an indictment out of New York. The Mexican government wasn't aware this was going to happen and objected to it. Um, they demanded that we return um, this individual or they would cease all uh, cooperation with uh, U.S. law enforcement, which is largely the Drug Enforcement Administration in Mexico. Um, we did return the, when I say we, I was not at DEA at the time. I should actually say that everything I'm telling you is open source material. I was not involved in this process at all. Um, but uh, the Department of Justice did return this individual to Mexico and in fact provided uh, evidence of uh, his criminal activity. The Mexican government decided that that evidence was not sufficient to either convict him in the U.S. or Mexico and in fact accused the Drug Enforcement Administration of fabricating the evidence. Uh, the U.S. Uh, obje objected to that, said that was not the case, and the um, Wall Street Journal um, noted that the Justice Department's response, this is a quote, might mark the lowest point in bilateral cooperation against criminal organizations since the abduction and killing of the DEA agent Kiki Camarena in 1985. The relationship did get worse. Um, the Mexican legislature passed a law that basically made it impossible for federal law enforcement, U.S. federal law enforcement, to work in Mexico. Essentially, it would require a DEA agent to report to um, the Mexican government everything he or she was doing or knew or the intelligence they had. Given the extraordinary corruption in Mexico, that's the equivalent of basically telling the drug cartels everything you know. The bottom line is our relationship, our ability to work in Mexico, and you should know that DEA worked before this, worked very actively in Mexico. All law enforcement did. FBI was there, ATF was there, DHS was there, ICE, HSI, everybody was working in Mexico. That relationship has collapsed and has not been repaired. Now, this administration has ha had a meeting in Mexico in October with, um, uh, to discuss various issues and the very first thing that should have come up was this problem, because with, with as many Americans dying, this has to be one of, if not the single highest priority with Mexico. Um, for example, one of the things we could ask is to grant visas to law enforcement uh, agents. It used to take about a month for a DE agent to get a visa granted. Now it's taking six months or more. Since the Biden uh, administration came into power, we haven't seen extraditions from Mexico anymore. We were seeing a lot of extraditions from Mexico of drug traffickers, of high-level drug traffickers in the Trump administration. That stopped. So the Biden administration has a role here, and it's an important role, and it is basically to tell Mexico that they need to step up to the plate and cooperate with federal law enforcement again. We need to take the, the battle to the Mexican drug cartels where they live in Mexico. And right now, the Mexican government is preventing us from doing that. So I just say that because if you look at it that way and you realize, and I, Mark's probably going to address this, will address this more fulsomely than I, I believe the Mexican cartels basically control our border now. 
Um, we are in a very, various, very serious position. What can we do about it? We do have control over our side of the border. And one of the things we can do is we can round up, arrest, and prosecute drug traffickers who are related to these cartels in the United States. And it's quite remarkable how many cartel members and associates are in the United States operating. They have command and control structures right here in the United States. We proved this uh, during the Trump administration with a, a, an operation called Project Python, which we announced in March of 2020. Project Python was designed to attack drug traffickers associated with CJNG, one of the most deadly cartels in Mexico, was designed to go after those individuals right here in the United States. It was a US-only operation. It was an opportunity to demonstrate that we can effectively attack drug traffickers right here without any uh, foreign cooperation. And we did. We arrested over, and some people might find this uh, amazing, over 760 CJNG members over a six-month period. People who were either members of this cartel or associates right here in the United States. So one of the things we can do, notwithstanding Mexico's failure to cooperate with us anymore, is we can really ramp up those domestic operations and do our best to, uh, to destroy um, the uh, command and control operations of the drug cartels right here in the United States. I'm hopeful that the administration uh, will be uh, launching operations like that, or they're already launched, um, and that we'll see the results soon. Um, oftentimes when I speak, it seems like a downer. Uh, everything's going downhill. I do want to tell you uh, that success is possible. Um, drug overdose deaths um, in the U.S. fell in 2018. They fell by a little over 5%, um, according to the CDC. That was the first time drug overdose deaths fell since 1990. They fell as a result of outstanding policies put into place by the previous administration. Um, one individual who worked very hard on that was the former drug czar, Jim Carroll, who's in the audience here today. Uh, he worked very hard to attack the drug uh, issue globally uh, on behalf of the administration. And he demonstrated, and the entire administration demonstrated, that success is possible. So when people tell you that we can't fight this thing on the supply side, or we have to you know, legalize drugs, it's absolutely not true. We can succeed. And with that, I'll say thank you. Thank you. Now here from Mr. Mark Morgan. The floor is yours. Thanks, Paul. So clearly, dealing with the drug epidemic, the drug crisis in the United States, it's it's complicated. Um, and and that saying it's complicated is a gross understatement of the problem. Uh, and Paul and I, you know, we were going back and forth preparing for this, and we were having a, a, a lot of discussions. And, and it's complicated because there's a supply and demand uh, challenge that's out there. There's a uh, enforcement aspect. There's a public health. Uh, treatment aspect to that. Uh, there's an education awareness, as, as Dylan talked about, that there's a, a political a, and uh, a, a diplomatic issue to this. The list goes on and on. Um, and I think the governor said it well, as is, is well, is that it, it really is an all-hands approach. It's really going to take uh, a, a vast amount of resources and agencies from, from the local, state, and federal level to really address this fully like we should. I don't think we've seen that uh, to the extent that we should. We've had some areas of success, as Unum discussed. But look, as we, as we go forward with this, we, we have to be honest with each other that this is complicated, but we can do complicated things. And there are specific areas that are pretty straightforward that I, I I hesitate to say, but but are fairly not complicated in the in the, the issue and the strategy. 
but it's the political will that's the challenge. And that is the border. And I, and I want to focus on that for my time here. It's border security. And that phrase is very important. And I'll explain that in a minute. It's just one element of a very complicated enforcement element. We've got to go after the cartels. I agree completely. Uh, and that's going to be a diplomatic issue as well as an enforcement issue. Uh, we've got to go after the gangs that are in this in this uh, uh, country that act really as one of the major distribution arms of the cartels and the smugglers uh, that operate in every city in this country. Those are very complicated things for a variety of reasons. I've got it. But so is the border. The border is a critically important issue to this. And I know it goes to the heart of supply and demand issue. But And look, I don't want to... I want to make sure that anything that I say is not misconstrued that I am suggesting that we can seize our way out of this crisis, okay? We cannot. We cannot seize our way out of it. But I will tell you this, to give the agents on the front lines of our nation's border the tools and resources to dramatically reduce the amount of drugs pointed to this country from our southwest border every single day, that's a damn good start, right? to stop that. Look, and, and look, so I, I say we can't seize our way out of it, but it is still a very critically important output. And let me, let me get, we, we, we had a lot of stats today. Let me give you a couple. I don't, I don't want to overwhelm the stats. But in the past few years, Customs and Border Protection, both the Office of Field Operations at our ports of entry and the United States Border Patrol in between the ports of entry, they've seized a little under a million pounds of drugs every fiscal year. A million pounds of drugs. Fentanyl, if, if, you, if you add air and marine element of CBP, that's another 300,000 pounds of drugs. If you look at fentanyl alone, last year 11,000 pounds. That doubled the year before and quadrupled the amount of fentanyl from uh, uh, the, the previous year. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. And so when we hear these numbers that you've heard today, 100,000 drug overdoses in, in a 12-month period, that's more than all the lives lost, American lives lost, than, than the Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq wars combined. You heard the other statistics that the congressman provided. It dwarfs the deaths from 18 to 25 of any other crisis we have in the, in the, in the country. And we know, as a matter of fact, not opinion, not a hyperbole, the overwhelming amount of drugs come from our southwest border. So why is it not a priority to secure our borders. You know, I just reviewed the, the omnibus. With all due respect, Congressman, it sucked. You know, and I voted and, against it. <laughs> amen. And, and so, so I just, just an anecdote. I, I, I put in there 2,700 pages, and I did a word search, and I put in there border security. 2,700 pages, and it came up 13 times. That's it, 13 times. 11 of the 13 times that border security came up, it was for funding to secure other countries' borders. It's, it's, I mean, it makes no sense. Why is this? Why, why is something that's happening on our southwest border that's killing Americans, it, it, devastating communities, devastating families, should we all be behind? Yeah, border security. And people will talk big about it. With all due respect, the President of the United States, the first time since he took office in a State of the Union address, mentioned border security, but didn't talk about any strategy or policy to actually implement border security. It was just a political talking point, because quite frankly, he knows he's upside down on the, on the poll numbers when this. But here's why. why. Why has the crisis at the southern border become so divisive? Why has it become a right or left thing when we know 
all the lives being devastated in this country because of the drugs pouring across our southwest border? Well, because there's a false narrative out there. There's a premise out there that, that the American people is being asked to buy, being forced to buy. And that is that somehow we have border security over here, and then we have illegal immigration over here. And somehow those two things are not connected. Somehow in some alternative universe, those two things are separate. And that you can be for border security and for illegal immigration. Well, it doesn't work that way. Not in the real world. The reality is, is that all the threats that we face along the southwest border, they're interconnected. When we look at the three million migrants that tried to break into our country illegally, the two million we, two million we encountered, the 600,000 that got away, and the 400,000 that turned back to avoid apprehension, every one of those paid the cartels. That illegal immigration is fueling and financing the cartel's criminal operations. It's making them stronger. It's making them more influential. It's making them more powerful. And it's also enabling their criminal schemes in other areas, including drugs, to expand. They actually utilize those three million migrants. They exploit them to drive and force them, many of them, to carry drugs across as they're being smuggled. They use them as a distraction technique. There are countless stories where they will send and hold 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 migrants and then put them through one area. So why? The border patrol has to respond there to provide the humanitarian aid, leaving the border on either side of them wide open. You know, the Congress mentioned Del Rio, the 15,000 under that bridge. Del Rio, one of nine sectors in that area, one of nine sectors in the southwest border, it covers 224 miles, linear miles of our border. During that time, there was virtually not a single border patrol agent patrolling 224 miles of our southwest border because they were overrun by illegal immigration. So do not tell me that illegal immigration is not part and parcel to our ability to effectively secure our border. And I guarantee you, during that time, that 224 miles, there were un untold amount of drugs that were pouring across this country. Not only mention that, we have areas where 50, 60% of border patrol agents are pulled off their national security job, right? Pulled off the job to basically be a travel agency, an Uber driver, a processing agent. Right? leaving large areas of our border wide open, unpatrolled, unmonitored, so drugs are pouring across. And look, I mentioned the seizures. That, that, look, that's still a great output. It's still significant. It's still something we've got to focus on. But anybody who stands in front of you and talks about and pats themselves on the back on the seizures, and that's all they talk about, they're misinforming you. Because what we should be worried about is the amount of drugs we're not seizing. And I, with all the, the expertise here, nobody here can actually give you an accurate figure of the amount of drugs that are actually pouring across our border because it's wide open. But I can tell you, because of this administration's open border policies that are driving the historic levels of illegal immigration higher than we've ever seen in our history, our borders are more wide open and, more, and less secure than they ever have been. And the wall system, regardless of the amount of BS that's told, by open border advocates in this administration, the wall system works. Everywhere where the wall system is utilized as part of a multi-layer strategy of infrastructure, technology, and personnel, every single measure of success went up, including their ability to seize more drugs. And look, Operation Lone Star uh, from Texas, I, look, I, I have to throw my hats off to the governor. He's doing more uh, from a state than any other governor in this country. The amount of drugs that he has seized, the, 
he has seized 40, 50,000 pounds of drugs, and that's every single drug would have made their way into every town, city, and state in this country. And I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. If, if, we, if we really want to get serious about a very complicated issue, there are things that we can do, like Uden talked about, the scheduling. That, that's not hard. That's just common sense, right? It, it, it makes no sense not to do, to, 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 to schedule uh, uh, the, the, the precursors that are out there. And it makes no sense that we do not secure our borders to get, I mean, really a common sense approach and get really behind uh, uh, stopping the, the, the easy accessibility of the drugs, the low cost of the drugs. We secure our borders, we're going to save lives. Amen. I'll end it at that. Thank you. Gang, let me start the discussion with a question. <clears throat> Many people say the drug war has failed because we have not been able to stop illegal drug use, whether it's drugs manufactured in the U.S. or smuggled into the U.S. Well, one way of looking at the problem of illegal drug use is to break it down, at least our response to it, into three parts. Education, enforcement, and treatment. I want to give each of you the opportunity to talk about any one of those, but I particularly encourage you, if you can, to say something about why, if you think it's true, enforcement needs to be a necessary part of our response, that we can't rely just on education or just on treatment. Congressman, I'll give you the chance to go first, if you prefer, if you want to wait. I see you making some notes to go. I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready. Uh, <clears throat> It absolutely has to be maintained. Enforcement, absolutely. We hear these stories. Well, we just need to, uh, we just need to legalize drugs because if we legalize them, not not only will, uh, you know, uh, eliminate people going to jail that shouldn't be in jail, uh, we can actually reap benefits, you know, from taxation and and uh, provide jobs and these these types of things. Well, let me tell you something. So looking legalizing fentanyl is already a legal drug but it needs to be it needs to be legal and and uh, uh limited to uh you know to a medical anesthesiological uh, a logical uh, uh you know function and uh, and if we stopped enforcing uh a drug enforcement then those drugs that that uh, governor abbott or Utum or, or or mark down there were talking about would have gotten on through and would have killed a bunch of people in, in towns and, and uh, communities around this, around this country. Absolutely has to be maintained. And uh, whether we think we're going to uh, lose the war on drugs, I think we're losing the war on drugs because we have an open border. That, I mean, it's, it's, it's not rocket science uh, that, uh, that the, our, our borders where this stuff is coming across. Um, I'm, I'm a, uh, a, 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 I still actually maintain my, my dental license and, and my insurance, and I do, I do see patients occasionally. I do write prescriptions still. Uh, and I can tell you education is very, very important uh, to inform people of the dangers. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you something else. I, I watch, when I'm watching television, it's incredible to me to see the prescription drug advertisements uh, that um, maybe we don't need to talk about this here, but I, it, it baffles me why they would be having uh, drugs and spending millions of dollars on advertising for a, uh, a prescription drug. 
uh, to lay people uh, that they would ask for this or ask for that. And then, of course, at the end, they always have disclaimers where everything under the sun is going to happen to you if you possibly if you take this drug. I think that's something that needs to be looked at as well. Uh, but education, maintaining our war on drugs and enforcement, and thank thank goodness for the DEA and uh, thank goodness for our um, uh, for our enforcement officers as well. I just wanted everybody to to. to I, you said you told me something. You told us something today, Adam, that uh, I did not realize there was that much lack and a change of communication and cooperation between the Mexican government and uh, uh, between uh, the DEA. Uh, I'm stunned to hear this. And you're right. I think you can't derive any conclusion from that except to think that the, the cartels are in control down there, if even the government. That's, right. That's very concerning to me. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome. Mark or Utam? Utam, you want to go, Mark? So I'll just say supply matters, which means enforcement matters. The best evidence of that is how the opioid crisis started, which was prescription drugs flooding certain communities, and suddenly people were overdosing on drugs at levels we never saw before. If you believe supply matters, that means enforcement matters. Enforcement is not the only solution to this problem. You need prevention, treatment, and enforcement. You need to attack it, it all of three of those areas, and that is the key to success. You will never get to 100%. You will never, quote, win the war on drugs. You will never get to a point where there were no drugs, no illegal drugs, and nobody's using them and, and nobody is overdosing on them. But I, I'm confident in saying this. The number of people that are overdosing today is absolutely unacceptable, and we have to get that number way, way down, and we could do it with a three-pronged attack, prevention, treatment, and enforcement. Amen. So real quick, foot stomp on, on uh, completely agree. We're a great nation on the face of the planet. We can do all of that at the same time, in my opinion. We're not doing that effectively, though. Let me give you two analogies. Look, the justice system, I'm being oversimplistic, but it's a continuum. It's a multi-layer strategy, right? So it's 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 legislators who who uh, produce law. It's the enforcement, law enforcement officers, enforcement, and prosecutors who prosecute it. If any one of those elements breaks down among that multi-layered continuum and strategy, it fails overall. We're seeing that in multiple cities now with woke DAs, right, that are not actually prosecuting criminals. They're, they're actually focused more on the rights of the criminals than the rights of the victims. And you see it when you don't do it all, it breaks down. Same thing on the southwest border. It's a multi-layer strategy of infrastructure, technology, and personnel. If you only focus on one or two of those elements, overall it's going to fail. It's the same thing here. We need to do it all. If you only focus on one or the other, overall it's going to fail. Gang, let me focus now on enforcement. There are, if we have an enforcement problem, there are at least four ways of dealing with it. One is to change the law. The second one is to change how the law is being enforced. The third is to give the people doing the enforcement more tools. And the fourth is just to change the people who are actually enforcing the laws or giving them orders. If you were king for a day, how would you, from those different options or any others, try to enhance the enforcement prong of this three-prong attack? 
let me go the other direction now. Mark, let me start with you. I start with D.L. Oliver. The first thing I do is I would impeach Secretary Mayorkas, right? Get get rid of him, right? So let's get a secretary that's actually going to be committed to being the secretary protecting our homeland rather than the secretary protecting his personal ideology, right? Get a secretary that's actually going to enforce the laws on the books instead of being a de facto legislator and not only not enforcing the laws, but actually creating new laws. I'll give you a quick example, and there's many, many here. I think most of us know, but I mean, his enforcement priority restriction of ICE, it's unbelievable. You basically have to be a known or suspected terrorist for you to be removable. He actually said being in the country illegal is not enough to remove you. That having a court order of removal is not enough to remove you. That's in, in direct contradiction to the laws on the books. The other thing that I would say is policy matters. Uh, I suggest let's take a, a, a page out of the Trump era playbook, right? Let's start reinstituting those policies that work. We can do this. Like MPP was a great example of that. The INA allows it. Now, what I would suggest is the INA needs to be tweaked. And I was briefly talking this to the congressman. Uh, the INA says that we can return individuals to a contentious country, but it says may. It doesn't say shall or must. We should change that to shall or must. So that takes the discretionary authority away from radical administrations like the one we have right now that actually did away with the most powerful powerful, effective tool that we had in the Remain in Mexico program. Um, and the last thing is, yeah, we do need new laws. And I'll give you just a couple examples on the southwest border that's going to allow us to better secure the border. And yes, some of them apply to illegal immigration, but I already talked about how border security is synonymous with illegal immigration is one of the first things we have to do is we have to fix the Florida Settlement Agreement. The Florida Settlement Agreement is a, is a nonsensical lower court judicial uh, uh, outcome that said we cannot detain an unaccompanied minor or family that broke into our country for more than 20 days. We can't get them through the immigration process. That's how catch and release started. First, let's address that so that ICE can actually detain individuals. Another one is TVPRA, another nonsensical uh, a law that was passed that, that if you're from a contiguous country, if you're unaccompanied minor from a contiguous country, we treat you different if you came from a non-contiguous country. So if you're from Canada or Mexico and you're unaccompanied minor, we return you to your family. If you're outside Mexico or Canada, we keep you. You know, I, I, I personally was CBP commissioner. I talked to all the leaders of my counterparts of all three Northern Triangle countries, and all of them said independently and separately to me, hey, you know, Commissioner Morgan, I don't understand. Could you, like, do something about your laws where you stop keeping our kids, the future of our country, and give them back to us? Um, there's a couple examples I could go on. Buddha? So Mexican drug cartels, in my view, represent the greatest threat to U.S. public health and national security. So from an enforcement perspective, the federal government needs to – there needs to be an uh, – uh, Every element of the federal government needs to be engaged in attacking these drug cartels. Um, we need an all-of-government approach. Um, so from an enforcement perspective, I would say that's the way we all need to approach this problem, in a coordinated way. Oftentimes, unfortunately, uh, people find this hard to believe, but federal law enforcement agencies don't always work as well together as they should. Uh, that needs to end. This is a big problem, and it needs uh, the full cooperation of all federal law enforcement um, agencies. We should be thinking a bit out of the box here. Um, a recent report that came out talked about fentanyl being a slow motion weapon of mass destruction. Well, let's think about fentanyl as a weapon of mass destruction. What does that mean if, if the president were to declare fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction? And, and it, 
bring the Department of Defense into this fight in a way they've never been in this fight before. So I just think we need to think out of the box a bit on this, and we also need to make sure we have a coordinated all-of-government approach on the enforcement front. Congressman? Yes, sir. I agree with everything that uh, both these gentlemen have just, just talked about. <clears throat> now, legislative fixes are absolutely necessary. Uh, from the interior enforcement, uh, you know, changing that, that uh, language from may to shall, uh, I think is an absolute necessity. And uh, doing away with the floors uh, agreement, TVPRA, et cetera. Um, folks, we got to build that wall. We've, we've got to build the wall. And, and uh, I, I'm, look, I believe in Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution says that the states, uh, that the federal government must must protect the states from invasion. And uh, I, there's there's debate about this, but I think uh, I, I appreciate what my governor's doing in, uh, in Texas, uh, helping to build a wall and arresting people for, uh, for trespassing, et cetera, uh, because the federal government simply won't do that and then turns around and releases them. Uh, E-Verify, I think that's something that uh, that's something we need to, to give a, a tool to our uh, to our, our companies, our employers, uh, to, to let them know who, who, they're, who they're hiring and they can find that out in just a, just a, a few minutes. Um, let's see, we also, uh, and there's, this has been suggested even during the Trump administration, uh, there were several of us who were advocates of uh, uh, a new designation for, our, for the Mexican drug cartels as terrorist uh, groups. Uh, there are there are some pros and cons involving that, but let me tell you something. These people are killing thousands and thousands and thousands of their own people, of Americans. Uh, they're they're cruel beyond imagination. Uh, it's uh, I've seen photographs and uh, even uh, even play, uh, things that I've seen on the border just uh, will curl your toenails. Uh, these people are they're bloodthirsty. Everything is based on their profits. You get in the way of their profits, they will do bad things to you or your family. Uh, these are all things that I think need to be need to be done. It's a it's a, a drastic problem, uh, and it is fixable though. It is fixable if you are determined to do it. Thank you. I have yes, more sir. questions I could ask, but I, I want to give the audience a chance. If there's someone in the audience who wants to ask a question, let me just explain the ground rules first. Please identify yourself and please keep it brief and short. Giving a speech that ends with, do you agree with me, is not a question, okay? Uh, sir, why don't you wait till you get a microphone? Dennis Kirk, sir. Um, I see this targeted redistribution of the people captured at the border into various, what I would call, red states and cities, etc. And I fear, is that a political operation? Well, I could certainly speak to that. I think it absolutely is a political operation. I think you've seen, uh, uh, we've spent, uh, our federal government has spent about $340 million in transportation costs flying these people around the country. I have seen it with my own eyes. I've flown on airplanes where you've got illegal aliens that are streaming onto the aircraft holding manila folders that say, I don't speak English, point me to the right bus or to the right airplane. Uh, they have not been tested for COVID, many of these people. They have not been required to get COVID vaccinations, uh, you know, unlike um, American citizens. And they have been flown into various parts of the country that uh, greatly suggest that they were, they're there to be put on a path to citizenship uh, and to, um, 
tip the balance of, uh, of the uh, election process. And I think I'm not being extreme when I say that. I think it's, uh, it's an obvious ploy uh, that it is political. I'm reminded of that commercial they used to see for a consumer product that used to say, eat all you want, we'll make more. Well, if you can't persuade people to vote for you, I suppose you can make more voters just by letting illegal people into the nation and allowing them to vote in your state and local elections, maybe even federal, uh, by changing your state laws in that regard. Yeah, Any, I, I, I got to add to that real quick. Go, right, so, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, so <clears throat> I've been doing this for 35 years, serving the country, as, as many people here served under six administrations, both Republican and Democrat. And it's not with ease that I say this, is that with what I've seen, how this administration has destroyed our border and handed our borders over to the cartels, it simply defies logic and it defies common sense. So this past year, I've searched hard and, and long, why would they do this? Why would they open the borders up knowing that a, tens of thousands of Americans are dying every single month? The travesty, angel families, the governor mentioned the angel. I've, t I've talked to more angel families than, than I can remember how they lost Americans and loved ones at the hands of illegal aliens. It goes on and on and on, the devastation. Why in the world would they do that? Unfortunately, I have to agree with the congressman. And it's not fun to, to agree with that, that at the end of the day, let's not forget about the census. They're playing the long game. Illegal aliens count part of the census now. So there's a potential redistricting of seats, right? And then uh, they believe that, that part of their goal is, and they truly believe that every single illegal alien that they find a pathway to citizenship is going to equate to a Democratic vote. That's where we're at right now. So we've actually handed over our borders to the cartels for a political advantage. It's disgusting. Anyone else in the room? Uh, over here in the front, there's someone coming with a mic for you. Hey, uh, excuse me. My name is Don Holman. I lost my son five years ago from an overdose to a synthetic opioid that he ordered online, was delivered in the mail from China. Um, Udom, I want to talk to you specifically, if you don't mind. The scheduling ban, you talked about for analogs. I testified in 2020 to extend the scheduling ban. And I know that's, that's my perception of that was that members of Congress, some are concerned that maybe lower level criminals, drug dealers, may be um, indirectly targeted. And so in my opinion, that was their hesitation on making it permanent. And then you mentioned the precursors as well as the analogs. So I didn't know if you could expand on some of that and explain maybe why, why is that not permanent now? Why do we continue to extend something that you know, could give you the tools or DEA the tools or enforcement tools to crack down on these higher level drug traffickers? Yeah, I, I, if I said precursors, I was referring to analogs. The, the Okay. Analog act, okay. so I apologize for that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm puzzled at the failure to extend this. This is, a, I said, a no-brainer. Um, the, the, there were various arguments about why not to do this. One is that it would, some folks believe that it would prevent research on fentanyl analogs. But the, the, the truth is DEA would always um, allow that research to occur on Schedule One drugs. Research occurs every day on Schedule One drugs. Uh, so an, if the analogs were placed into Schedule One, uh, and a university wanted to research an analog uh, and showed that it had an actual medical purpose to move it into Schedule Two, for example, they would be able to they would be allowed to do that. So I have not heard a convincing argument as to why the Fentanyl Analogs Act um, should not be uh, should not be passed immediately. 
the big worry is, I mean, the cartels are so smart, they're so sophisticated, they have the ability to, to uh, uh, turn on a dime and start manufacturing these, these um, analogs, and we'll be flooded with them. And prosecutors, it's much, much harder to prosecute those, those individuals who are distributing those drugs. So it's, it's, it's not legal, but it's practically legal, I mean, which is why it's so important we do that. And I'm sorry about your loss. That's, that, thank you. But a lot of people don't understand that analogs are just tweaking a recipe to make right. it go from right. you know, uh, illegal to not legal, over to legal. Right. So if you don't mind, if I could follow up with Mark on another uh, comment. As, you, as I said, five years I've been involved in this. I'm in D.C. Um, as I mentioned about testifying and met other people within your organization, both of you, DEA and CBP, they've been great. Um, five years ago, we were talking about China. You know, they're sending stuff through the mail with the USPS. If I'm not mistaken, they actually did a better job of scheduling than we did. And that's what slowed down some of the stuff coming through the mail. So now it's coming through the southern border. 100% agree we need, to, we need to control the border. I don't know if this is a question or a statement. Is I'm concerned, just like with China and the cartel, what's next? How do we forecast or predict that we shut down the border, the next method of fentanyl or, or illicit drugs coming into our country? I personally think we need to look at the post office again and be prepared. If they can't come across the border, they're going to go that route again. And if we're prepared to handle that, Maybe my question is, as we go throughout yeah. the country and we identify areas that drugs are being trafficked, are we capturing those physical addresses, putting it in our process center, running our ad analogs, so as packages come in, we see an increase, can we jump on that too? So I don't know. Yeah, no, no I, I think your question's spot on, and, and I think it goes what Udom said. Make no mistake, the cartels, I used to say kind of tongue-in-cheek, is that they could go to Harvard Business School and teach a class at business resiliency and flexibility. They, they have the ability to change their TTPs, their techniques, tactics, and procedures better than a lot of uh, uh, major Fortune 500 companies uh, do across the globe. So make no mistake, and that's what makes it complicated, right, is they will change. Just like, but, but you know, Jim and, and Udom and others uh, were, were instrumental in, in, in the United States Postal Service, you know, and the express consignment international mail that was coming through. And, and that's why I say part of the, the issue here is also a diplomatic one as well. Uh, all those things came combined. You saw a, a dramatic reduction in express consignment international mail, but they just changed, right? So then, then, then the precursors they started coming directly to to, to Mexico. They hired their own chemical uh, chemists, and they're just doing it for Mexico. Uh, we secure the, the the physical land border. Make no mistake, they'll try to dig more tunnels. They'll use a maritime environment. They use more drones. Uh, they may go to other countries as well and try to reinstitute that. I think D all of that above is going to happen. But it goes back to you know something Udom said too. It's it's got to be a whole of government approach. We've got to get better at anticipating that and be able to, to apply an enforcement action. And one quick thing I'll say, because we mentioned, WMD has been mentioned, uh, talking about terrorist organization, real quick. So I remember as a young a young FBI agent, uh, I was there when 9-11 when, when happened. I was, uh, you know, uh, talking to my supervisor when the second tower fell. A few days later, you know, I found myself standing at the Pentagon and then Ground Zero in New York. And, and there's so many things that struck me. But one that thing that struck me was is clearly we failed. Right, we have to get a hell of a lot better at what we what we're what we're doing and the way we're doing it because there was a clear failure, right? And we could we could spend the next two hours talking about that. The reason why I bring that up is it really goes to to the to the heart of what what Udom was saying about a whole, whole of government approach. And then what the congressman saying was there's a lot of talk should we declare terror uh, uh, the, the 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 cartels a terrorist organization? This is what I'll say. I think that's open for debate, and we should talk about that just like we should talk about WMD. Uh, uh, issues as well with the drugs, but but here's what it should say, and this really goes to a footstomp what Udom said. We should apply the same concept that we apply with terrorism, 
right? The same whole of government approach, the same commitment, the same funding, the same kind of structure. Like right now, I, you know, if you go to the, and not because it's been 20 years, it just happened to be this way, but the FBI is the lead, right, for counterterrorism operations. But it's a whole of government approach. I always said, look, I spent 20 years in the, uh, in the FBI, but I always said DEA should lead that effort, right? And we should set up a structure and have a structure and have a commitment. We should have, a, just like we have a joint terrorism task force that the whole United States is involved in, state, local, county, federal, they're all involved with. They all know when a lead comes in, no matter how big or small, they know where it funnels into. And it's worked from a whole government approach, from intelligence to operation, it goes on and on. We should be doing the same thing with attacking the cartels. We're not there yet, and we should. Gang, we have uh, we've come up with this. It's just a minute or two left. But I want to give uh, Mark, if you don't mind, I think I want to give Utam and the congressman a chance to give some closing remarks. The ones you just gave certainly fill that bill. Uh, congressman, uh, you have any closing remarks you'd like to give? Uh, absolutely. I think that um, uh, first off, thank you, Paul, uh, and thank thank you, Heritage, to to ha for having this. It's very valuable. This is a conversation and a dialogue that this country needs so very desperately. And it's amazing uh, that, uh, and several people have said it this morning, I know Mark did, uh, how, how in the world could an administration that is, that is sworn by oath to uphold the Constitution and the laws of this country and to keep our borders secure and keep Americans and their property safe uh, allow a complete erasure erasure, just completely erasing uh, our southern border. Uh, and with all the concomitant, uh, you know, uh, issues that, that go along with, uh, with, a, with a border that's wide open. Uh, and this dialogue is, 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 is invaluable to me to be able to hear uh, former DEA and, and border uh, authority uh, uh, authorities uh, be able to talk about this so that we can get ideas about what we need. I, as I said, I serve on the task force in the Republican conference uh, to be ready and prepared uh, with legislative ideas, initiatives uh, when we do take the uh, majority back, and I think we will. I really think we are getting ready to see a, a, a red tidal wave come over this, uh, this nation here in uh, this coming uh, November. At least I'm praying to the good Lord that that happens. Uh, and then we need to waste no time at all uh, to reinstitute these things that absolutely, number one, we've got to get back to where we were in a cooperative agreement with, uh, with our, our neighbor Mexico. If they're thumbing their nose at us, there's some, there's some real problem down there. If they're not allowing our DEA agents or, and other uh, enforcement agents to, and, and not extraditing uh, people that uh, have, have committed uh, uh, crimes that have fled there or committed crimes in the United States, and then we have to send them back down there, I don't believe. Uh, but these are remain in Mexico. Uh, the, all, the, all these uh, issues, uh, the, the legislative fixtures that, that we mentioned as well, uh, these are things that have to be done when we take the majority back. We will not have a friendly administration. I admit that uh, completely, but if we can get uh, if the American people, it's in their hands, in the hands of the American people, if they can give us veto-proof uh, majorities in, in both houses, we can make these fixes. And also the American people can stand up uh, and tell this administration. Uh, I, I'll give you an example. 
the, the, the Biden administration was absolutely adamant and would not be, uh, their, 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 their mind would not be changed on stopping of the purchase of, of Russian oil and gas. Well, we're providing Russia with about 50 to $60 million a day uh, purchasing their gas, basically financing their Ukrainian invasion. Uh, but guess what? Uh, because of a public outcry, uh, an uproar in public opinion, uh, the Biden administration this past week uh, has reversed course. And uh, so that's what public opinion, and that's what education, that's what heritage, and that's what uh, a, a free and open uh, a media can do, and that is to change these minds and make sure that they do the things that would protect Americans. Utah? A secure border will make all Americans safer. Let's take our border back from the drug cartels, and thank you for having this very important event. My pleasure. Let me, let me thank everyone here in the audience. Let me thank everyone who watched at home, and let me end just with a question to President Biden. President Biden, how many more Americans have to die before you stop playing a matador defense at the border? With that, let me say thank you very much. We appreciate it, and we hope that you'll come back for future events. We're adjourned. Oh.